Good morning. I'm Riley, and this is Lifestyle Tucson, a program where I speak with nonprofit groups and organizations, finding out how they serve our community and getting updates on their current projects. For the first portion of today's show, I am sharing a conversation I had with the Tucson Botanical Gardens. I'm speaking with... My name is Matt Adamson, and I'm the Director of Marketing and Communications at Tucson Botanical Gardens. Well, I'd like to kind of start at the beginning. Sure. So tell me about the Tucson Botanical Gardens. When did you open and some of the history? So Tucson Botanical Gardens, you know, we call it uh, an oasis or a gem in the heart of the city. And it has an interesting history. And early on, it's really the tale of a family and another interested citizen. So back in 1964, a local citizen and horticulturalist named Harrison Yoakum established the entity that we know today as the Tucson Botanical Gardens. However, at the time, it really operated just out of his home. And he had all kinds of interesting plants growing in his yard, and a small group of people that made up the original membership would come and they would meet. Eventually, they did find some temporary housing over at Randolph Park. However, as this is happening, we enter the tale of the other part of the story. Back in the 1930s, a couple named Rutger and Bernice Porter met, fell in love, and married, and then built a home on what was then the far east side of Tucson at Grant and Alvernon. And back then, Alvernon was known as Maple. And they ran a landscaping business, raised a family, three daughters. And then in the late 50s, the, they were able to close the business and enter retirement. Uh, Rutger passed away in the 60s. And about that time, Bernice started imagining leaving their home and property to become the nucleus of a botanical garden. Oh. So that's then where Harrison kind of comes back into the story. And in the early 70s, the home of the Porters became the home of the Tucson Botanical Gardens. And in 1974, it actually became uh, an entity of the city of Tucson. And much like the zoo, was run as a department of the city of Tucson. And then in the early 80s, 1983, it was sort of spun off as a not-for-profit and has been run as a nonprofit ever since. So... In 2024, we'd be celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Tucson Botanical Gardens. Well, not too far away. No. That's kind of beautiful how it was almost a, a everything kind of just lined up to, <laughs> to create the, yeah, the you, Botanical you Gardens. You had an interest. You had a, sort of a, just a locally interested group of people that loved plants. Yeah. And then you had this family whose you know business was planting plants. and who wanted to leave a legacy um, of beauty and something built around their love of plants. So. Yeah. Nice synthesis. Well, part of uh, that legacy, tell me about the the mission and vision of the Tucson Botanical Gardens. So first, let me just say the gardens today is about a five and a half acre property. Mm-hmm. And, you know, unlike a lot of gardens elsewhere in the country that maybe have, you know, hundreds of acres and so large, expansive displays, sort of what was done years ago to maximize our relatively small footprint was to have many small pocket gardens. Mm -hmm. So we have about 17 themed gardens that we'll talk about a little bit later in our conversation. But today, the the mission of the Tucson Botanical Gardens is to connect people with plants and nature through art, science, history, and culture. And we do that in a variety of ways. You know, sort of undergirding our philosophy is making sure it's a beautiful respite for the Mm -hmm. people, not only of Tucson, but anyone who visits Tucson from the rest of the country or around the world. And so we have 4,000 different species of plants on the grounds. Mm. Surprisingly, even though we are at the intersection of two major streets in the city, it is calm and beautiful 
of course, there's a little traffic noise at the edges, but you'd be surprised when you get deep into the gardens, you really can be contemplative in a lot of these spots. And so I really think beauty is what begins every day and a commitment to a beautiful, peaceful setting. You know, we also want to make sure it's kind of a vibrant and vigorous place. So we offer uh, any number of educational classes throughout the year. Um, those can be things as garden specific as learning how to prune trees, to container gardening, to learning how to cook. We have uh, a chef that comes in and teaches people how to make tamales. So we're using the gardens to engage people in ways that, yes, maybe have some connection to plants or food, but are places for people to come together and enjoy community and like-minded, you know, goals and, and things that they're interested in. Yeah, and it's kind of like you had mentioned before, the, the oasis aspect of the botanical gardens. So I'd like to hear about some of the gardens you'd mentioned. You said there were 17 in 17, total. Yep. Tell me about some of the most notable ones to you. Sure. Well, I think, you know, we live in a time when people are trying to be really water conscious. Mm -hmm. So the Xeriscape Garden in particular is planted with, you know, largely native and arid adapted plants. So, you know, one thing I think that's interesting about all these gardens is people come in and get ideas because they're kind of yes. presented at yard scale. So you get some ideas for, oh, we could maybe do something like this in our backyard or that little piece of our side yard needs to do something. And, you know, the Xeriscape Garden is a great place to get ideas for planting beautiful but native or arid adapted plants so mm -hmm. that your water bill stays low and we're all kind of taking care of that very precious and limited resource that we have here. The Barrio Garden, probably our you don't use a word, a qualifier with the word unique, but it is mm -hmm. the most unique and, and truly evocative of Tucson. You know, many years ago, the Barrio Garden was created in partnership with people in the community, local families that have been here for generations to really make sure we were being accurate and faithful to um, the traditions that go into making up a Barrio Garden and this, the way the space is utilized, the sort of found objects that make up what's on display and the kinds of plants that are planted. And, you know, we were so successful with that, that we actually made a small scale traveling model and sent that to Washington, D.C. a couple summers ago as part of a display they were doing at the U.S. Botanic Garden um, from different gardens around the country. So another garden that's kind of signature to, to TBG, often I call Tucson yeah. Botanic Gardens TBG, um, you know, we have an herb garden. So people can see the kinds of herbs that will grow in our climate, a huge variety uh, that is one part of the gardens where we have a display set up for people to really touch and smell and kind of really vigorously interact with the plants. Yeah, I could see that being kind of inspirational, getting to see like what you could. I've always wanted to have like my own home herb garden. Oh, you yeah. Know? <laughs> well, I think <laughs> broadly speaking, <laughs> the gardens do that. I think there are a number of plants that people are surprised will grow here. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, we'd rather they enjoy them at the gardens as opposed to trying to plant mm -hmm. them themselves because, you know, they may have been planted decades ago before people really started to be aware of our water use. And, of yeah. course, as the city grew through the years, we were, we're all being more cognizant of that. So some plants we say, you know, please enjoy them here, mm -hmm. not necessarily plant them at, at your home. And then others, go for it. You know, some cases it's a microclimate issue. We might have just a particular spot in the gardens that's particularly shady, uh, retains water particularly well. And so something will grow there and it might not in a much more, say, sun exposed, you know, yard somebody might have. Of course, we also have a children's discovery garden. So there's a place for families, especially with young kids, to find a place for them to 
play with some water and yeah. get some of that energy out while definitely lots of fun things to play with there's ability to make music in there and so a nice a nice place for kids to to enjoy the garden in a way that's appropriate for for kids mm-hmm. a little fun for the whole family for sure um so tell me about some of what's kind of currently happening at the tucson botanical gardens i had seen you have some active exhibits right now one I noticed was seeing the invisible. Will you tell me a bit more about that one? I will, for sure. And, you know, the gardens, we have a number of gallery spaces. Mm -hmm. So in addition to our beautiful plant collection, there are always a number of different kinds of exhibits on display. So you're referencing seeing the invisible is this really fascinating augmented reality fine arts exhibit that we have on display. So about a year ago, we, along with 12 other gardens around the world, partnered with Jerusalem Botanical Gardens in Israel to create a virtual art exhibit. What was done is 13 different artists were contacted, and these are world-famous artists in a different variety of media, who all either created a work in a digital space or a pre-existing real-world work was digitized. These were all then embedded in an app, and then the pieces were all geolocated or locked in place using GPS coordinates at all of these participating gardens. So if you come and see Seeing the Invisible at Tucson Botanical Gardens, you'll use your phone or a tablet or something that you can download the app on. You'll follow a map around the gardens. You'll get sort of alerted when you're near a piece. You sort of move your device around so that it can help establish where the piece is. And then it will appear on the screen of your device. You can walk through it. You can look up and around it. All but one of them have a soundtrack associated with them. So they're really immersive and engaging as many of your senses as you can using yeah. you know, technology. And what was neat about this, these are pieces that we likely wouldn't have been able to afford to show if they mm-hmm. were real world pieces or to make sure they were secure or things like that. Mm-hmm. So this is a way to bring some yeah. very you know, high level fine art to the community. You know, for some, they're trying to get away from technology one day mm-hmm. they come to the gardens and that's fine. And then for others, it's just something else that enhances their visit. Um, and then we have several uh, sort of static art displays on display right now. We have a watercolor exhibit in an outdoor gallery. We have a botanical illustration exhibit in our friend's house gallery. Uh, local artist uh, David Conklin has painted a bunch of nature uh, animals, mods, et cetera, on display in another gallery. So a number of exhibits yeah. at any given moment in time. You're listening to Lifestyle Tucson. I'm Riley, and I'm speaking with Matt Adamson, the Director of Marketing and Communications with the Tucson Botanical Gardens. As we look over the horizon, probably the thing we're most excited about later this year, we're opening something we're calling Lights Up, which is going to be our all-new holiday show. So for many years, we've had Luminaria Nights. Yes. And been beloved by the community for, you know, 30-plus years. And so we are using Luminaria as kind of as the base of developing this new program, opening this state-of-the-art light show that will be a curated walk around the gardens, um, of course, holiday-themed. Mm-hmm. And probably, you know, a lot of it is still we want to we'll wait for the big reveal yeah. later in the year, <laughs> but just to kind of get people thinking about it. You know, right now, the beautiful walk that we have at the holiday season probably has about 100,000 lights associated with it. This new curated show will have more than a million. Oh, wow. So we're really taking going some. Big. We're going big. <laughs> and it's, it's going to be, it really is going to be beautiful and something that, that people will want to do for sure. Yeah, and definitely. The, so, and since you said it is holiday, I figure there's still 
planning and you know oh, uh, process. Absolutely. <laughs> until... No, we're doing it right now. We're mm-hmm. we're working with artisans to create some of the pieces. Um, different vendors. We're already having to order a lot of these things because supply chain issues. Oh yeah. You know, get to jump on that ordering early. Ordering now and. We're imagining even having to start decorating as early as September because we're going to be, you know, decorating some of these 75-foot-tall trees. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a pretty involved process. But oh, Wonderful, though. Yeah. That's something definitely to look forward to. For sure. Especially because we love our lights, our oh, Christmas yeah. lights here in Tucson, <laughs> that's for sure. Tell me a bit more about some of the, like, community classes and programs that are available through the Tucson Botanical Gardens. So, and I think I alluded briefly to these earlier, but, you know, I was talking to our education director and she reminded me that we're going to have award-winning author Wynne Brown coming up talking about her book, The Forgotten Botanist, Sarah Plummer Lemon's Life of Science and Art. Uh, we're going to have a lecture by David Yetman, an American academic expert on the Storm Desert. Wonderful. He was yeah. just here for the Festival of Books. So folks like that come in, you know, periodically and open to the community and you learn about different topics. And I would say for your listeners, Anything we talk about today, then your next step is to go to TucsonBotanical.org. You know, that's our website where all of these events are listed and people can get much more detailed information about what's coming, when, if tickets are needed, et cetera, mm-hmm. things like that. Because are some events open as opposed to like where you have to like sign up ahead of time? Correct. Or, yeah. Okay. Some, some, so some events are included in the price of admission. So you're mm-hmm. buying your ticket, you're coming in. Others are arranged so that there's no cost. The members or anyone in the community can come in to hear a particular talk, but they're all varied. So you'll have to check, you know, our event listings to see which of those kind of fit which parameters. If you you have to buy a ticket to see it or if it's just open to the community. The Tucson Botanical Gardens, as you had mentioned earlier, is a nonprofit organization. And from what I gather, you, you rely on volunteers to help do the work. Will you tell me just a bit about what volunteering is like at the Tucson Botanical Gardens. And it is not hyperbole to say that we could not be open or certainly not be open and offer the scale of beauty and that we do without the Mm -hmm. help of volunteers. I mean, they're essential to the operation. So we sort of have two tracks. We have folks that come in who want to volunteer and they have maybe a history of something in their life or something they're interested in. And they come in and help kind of with just a task or Mm -hmm. one part of our operations. So for example, we have a number of people that are Monday or Wednesday and they come in and help the gardening team. Mm-hmm. And generally that could be everything from some simple guidance in terms of pruning to raking up leaf litter, just kind of helping the grounds and the gardening team keep things looking beautiful. We've got people that come in and help us stuff envelopes to send out to members. You know, maybe we have a fundraising effort happening and so people help us in that area. So what you're saying is you don't have to have a green thumb to volunteer. Oh, not at all. Not Gardens. at all. I think <laughs> the only thing you really need is just a desire to be involved and and obviously some basic interest in the Tucson mm-hmm. Botanical Gardens. And we will find a niche for you. I think something that people I think are excited to hear about and, and maybe aren't aware that we have the volunteer opportunity are Butterfly Greenhouse and Orchid Conservatory. Mm. Uh, beautiful, you know, hundreds of tropical butterflies in there and they'll be on display until the end of May. Because we have to control that space and make sure the butterflies don't get out, we sort of have like two airlocks at the end of each building. And so volunteers help manage the flow of people in and out of that space. And so, I mean, what better? Yeah, you could be a butterfly guard. It's like being in a little little (laughs) tiny slice of jungle and you're talking to people and seeing butterflies for a couple of hours during a shift. And you can do it at a scale that fits your schedule. You know, some people come in maybe just once a month, others Mm -hmm. come in once a week. It's what level of involvement and time a person has. So volunteering, you know, that that's one angle. 
The other angle is being a docent. Mm -hmm. And I, I think a docent we would describe as even maybe a more trained volunteer. So someone who's going to get some additional training in the history, maybe the specifics about some of the plant collections. So I, I would say this is a person who's, who's going to receive a, a substantial number of hours of training and then be able to speak confidently about a lot of the, the aspects of mission and, and operations that maybe a very narrow niche volunteer might not have that same you know, level of training. Well, is there anything else you'd like to kind of add on before we start wrapping up today? Well, you know, we talked earlier about the gardens and its unique properties yeah. and, the, and the pocket gardens. You know, right now it's beautiful. I mean, mm -hmm. we're in spring. Everything is blooming. And the way the gardeners plant the space, we had blooms beginning as early as mid-February, and we'll have stuff blooming into early May. So we kind of extend mm -hmm. our spring with the kinds of things that we plant. But as we look over the horizon to the summer— you know, the gardens is a great place to visit then because about 80% of our property is covered with um, shade. Oh, so nice. we're five to seven degrees cooler than most of the rest of Tucson. And then we also have dogs allowed in the summertime. So we call it dog days and it runs from June 1st to September 30th. And folks are allowed to, to come in with their dogs. And it's a great place to safely walk your dog. And the cafe offers uh, little dog treats. You know, they have a little dog menu. So that might be something that is, appeals to people when they're when they're thinking of things to do in the summertime. Definitely. That's good to know because when you are in those dog days, the hot days of summer, last thing usually to cross your mind is like, oh, I guess I'm going to go outside for a while. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. But and actually... we open early, too, <laughs> oh, in the summertime definitely. so people can get there at the crack of dawn before it's too hot and walk around and then go back home and turn the AC on before mm. before 10 a.m. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, but no, you know, I guess the only other thing I might mention is, especially for people who are local, you know, one way, uh, a really sort of economically feasible way to, to frequently visit us is to consider a membership. Mm -hmm. You know, when you you come and you and you feel relaxed, you you feel that sense of calm and, and nature does do that for us. It's more feasible and more economically affordable to buy a membership so mm -hmm. you can come frequently because, you know, things are changing. Things are different. Things are in bloom. So it, make it make it easier on your pocketbook. Get a membership and come as often as you like. Wonderful. Well, uh, before I let you go, uh, will you just share with me the details about the Tucson Botanical Gardens, your address and sure. how to find more information? Sure. So we're uh, physically located. Our address is 2150 North Alvernon. We're really on the southeast corner of the intersection of Grant and Alvernon, right behind that big Vasa um, shopping complex. Our phone number is 520-326-326. 9686 and there's a uh, information line there and then uh, you can go to our website tucsonbotanical.org and of course we have uh, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all those social media be channels on the social media absolutely absolutely <laughs> yeah people can find us a lot of different ways and we look forward to having them visit us you're listening to Lifestyle Tucson. I'm Riley, and that was Matt Adamson, the Director of Marketing and Communications with Tucson Botanical Gardens. For the next portion of today's program, I'm sharing a conversation I recently had with Gospel Rescue Mission. I'm speaking with... Victor Hightower. I'm the Marketing Manager at Gospel Rescue Mission. Although Gospel Rescue Mission has been serving those facing homelessness for years in our community, will you start off by sharing with me the mission and vision of Gospel Rescue Mission and kind of how it got started? So yeah, it got started in 1953. Um, Ray Chastain, who was coincidentally Lisa's grandfather, started the mission back then, serving the hobos, as they called them back then, riding the rails into Tucson, uh, just serving initially, feeding them food, 
and then we expanded to offer more services and then expanded and became a shelter. And for decades, we were at the 28th Street location in South Tucson. And then in 2007, I think it was, we opened the Women's Center on Miracle Mile, moved that to a new location on Miracle Mile. And then we've been needing to expand the Men's Center for a while in South Tucson. We only had 55 beds. We had to reduce the bed count for fire code regulations. And um, we've been looking for a new place. Um, Umberto Lopez from the H.S. Lopez Family Foundation on his own wanted to invest in the community. Um, he had this vision for a place where the homeless could get all their services, programs, shelter in one location. You know, if you're ever taking the bus, you know, if you want to go to two places, like here to get a flu shot and there to sign up for uh, benefits, that's an all-day trip. Yeah. So he, uh, he, he approached us and I, I, I'm a supporter of yours. I like what you're doing. I'd like you to be involved with this. And I think our board kind of was shocked at the offer. It was a great offer, a huge project. So they wanted some time to think about it. And then Mr. Lopez came back a few months later and said, I bought the property. I want you to manage it. So thus was born the H.S. Lopez Family Foundation Center of Opportunity on, on South Palo Verde Road. Mm-hmm. So it's a, a five-acre, one-stop campus, one-stop shop where the homeless can come and get shelter, food, obviously, clothing, hygiene. Uh, we have employment, housing, and recovery programs. Basically, you can come in if you're broken, come in and get healed, get a job, find a place to live. And pretty soon, La Frontera is going to be opening a uh, six-story tower, as we call it, for low-income housing, permanent low-income housing on the site. So it's great. Everything you need in one spot, medical care, dental Mm -hmm. care, mental health care, veterans benefits. It's all there. Yeah. Yeah, And something interesting, you also help making connections for people who are facing homelessness so they can get back on their feet, such as um, helping with identification and stuff like that. Is that correct? Yes. So the Homeless ID Project is there to help people get IDs. Um, We won't turn anybody away. We want to help everybody we can. That's one of the services, yeah, that we offer is Mm -hmm. the ID. The main ones being El Rio's there for medical and dental. We have uh, the Wellbeing Institute providing mental health care. So the last time I got to speak with Gospel Rescue Mission, it was back just before Christmas. Can you tell me a bit about the impact you were able to make in 2021, since it was still a challenging year, like we've been facing for a while now? Yeah, it it was. We cut our bed count in half um, just to keep people sort of socially distanced and spread out so we wouldn't have any rampant COVID Mm -hmm. issues in there. And we were pretty successful at that. We had a few issues but one of the buildings on site is we call them the casitas those were the old like hotel suites Mm -hmm. the two-room suites so we had some of those set aside we still have some of those set aside as sort of isolation rooms so if anybody gets sick we were able to isolate them there so they wouldn't you know affect the whole population but we kept charging ahead with all of our programs we did really really well you know unemployment was obviously an issue has been an issue Mm -hmm. for the last couple years but last year we were able to help uh, over 400 people find jobs. Oh, wow. So 400 people are, are employed through our workforce development program last year, and we helped about 360 people find a permanent home. Part of the way we look at homelessness is, is not only getting people off the streets, but it's addressing what caused them to be mm-hmm. homeless in the first place. So we want to help them become successful and self-sufficient. And if that's, you know, you're on hard economic times, well, we want to help you find a job. Mm-hmm. If you can't afford where you're living, we want to help you find a, a place that you can afford. If you want to learn new job training or new job skills, that's another service we're going to op- offer soon is not only helping people find jobs, but offering 
you know, marketable skills on site. So mm -hmm. like construction skills, culinary skills, learning how to get a, a CDL, a commercial driving license, maybe drive a forklift, learn some IT skills to make you more marketable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's more than just getting someone out of homelessness. They need to be able to thrive after exactly. they have. To um, help them transform, find what made them homeless in the first place and address that, not just get them off the street. So it's a permanent, life-changing, new beginning, transformation program. We are in that time of year uh, tax season. Yay. So I know. <laughs> I, I made my appointment. And from what I understand, Gospel Rescue Mission is able to provide many of their services because of these tax credit yes. donations. Yes. Can you help explain to me the significance of using these donations and some of how they are used? Sure. So first of all, we don't take government funding. Mm -hmm. We rely completely on the community support. And Tucson is a wonderful, loving, supportive place for that. Um, the tax benefit is is wonderful. Uh, you can donate up to $400, and that can come straight out of your taxes. So you get a credit against what you owe in state taxes. And that's if you're filing single. If you're married and filing jointly, that's up to $800. You're listening to Lifestyle Tucson. I'm Riley, and I'm speaking with Victor Hightower, Marketing Manager at Gospel Rescue Mission. So something Gospel Rescue Mission is well known for is your holiday celebrations. Yes. And Easter is coming up. So can you tell me about the plans you have for 2022? Yes. Yeah, so a lot of people know us for our street banquets, which we had been doing for about 34 years, 33, 34 years. Um, at the old location, we'd block the street off and fill it with tables and chairs and have volunteers come out and serve people on the spot. When COVID hit, we, we did it once. So let me back up. When we moved to the Center of Opportunity, we did the Thanksgiving banquet inside, which was great. And then COVID hit and, you know, everything changed mm -hmm. with COVID. So we came up with the idea of Blessings to Go, which was initially a drive-through where people could drive through the property. We give them food boxes. We got pallets of food from the food bank. We were just loading people's trunks up with food boxes and cases of whatever produce we had. Mm -hmm. So we shifted the next 20, maybe 2020 Thanksgiving banquet to that mode where we would have people drive through and they get the meal to go. We still had seats outside for people who don't drive. This year, with the Easter brunch, we're doing it full on, come in, sit down, or drive through. So it's a choice. Okay. Almost so, like a hybrid model. Exactly. Yeah. It's a good, a good way to look at it. In South Tucson, a lot of the people who came to get the meals were right there. But our location now is it's off a bus line, so it's not totally remote. But there's not a lot of residential area in the, around there. So we're thinking that we may still have a lot of people who want to drive through and get the meal. And part of what we do, not only... Do we help the people who come to us for services? But we reach out into the community to people who may be on the brink of homelessness mm -hmm. to provide resources to them like non-perishable food, hygiene products, uh, furniture, household goods. You know, we don't want people to have to decide, well, am I going to pay my electric bill or am I going to go buy food? Mm -hmm. So we want to help them. So part of the reason we're keeping that hybrid mode, as you call it, is to reach those people who might want to drive through and get a meal. But we still know that there are a lot of people in Tucson who live on the street mm -hmm. So we want to um, be able to serve them too. So it's you can walk up um, and come up and sit down and be served a hot meal, or you can drive through and get a hot meal. What is the date of this year's Easter? So blessings? that's on Good Friday, April fifteenth, from eleven to two. And who is it all open for? We say if you're in need, if you'd like help, come by. But we're not going to turn anybody away. Mm -hmm. As long as we've got food, we'll serve. <laughs> yeah. So we spoke briefly about the tax credit donations, but understandably, during these times, there are some folks who have had to tighten their own budgets. And what are some other ways that people can show support without necessarily financial support? 
Well, prayer is always good. Mm-hmm. We do have a good, uh, a big volunteer program. That's a good way to do, uh, to support us. You can sign up online and come in and take a tour of the location, a tour the Center of Opportunity and our Women's Recovery Center, which used to be our Women and Children's Center on Miracle Mile. We still have that. Some things that volunteers do, we treat people with dignity and respect. Mm-hmm. We want people to come in and feel that, you know, they're not in a home, but they're being treated as if they were in a home, so not like an institution. Part of the way we do that is our guests sit down and they're served their meals by volunteers. Mm-hmm. So you don't shuffle through a line like you're in a cafeteria or some other institution. You get treated with love. People um, serve you there, talk to you, converse you, you know, build relationships. So that's one thing you can do. You can help prep the food. Oh, you can work with landscaping, with maintenance, um, prayer, teaching classes. We have a whole range of things that, that volunteers. We can't do, I like to say, half of what we do without volunteers. So mm-hmm. that's another good way for, for you to support us. Mm-hmm. And do you accept in-kind donations Absolutely. As well? You don't, because ha- you don't have a thrift store or anything no, like that. Where do don't. your in-kind donations go? So we don't sell anything. Mm-hmm. We have a crew that goes out and picks up donations through the community, or you can drop off at either location. So we get a lot of clothing, a lot of furniture, everything from kitchen dishes and knives and forks and spoons or up to couches and washing machines. We get cars. We had a trailer once, a mobile home once. We use whatever we can on site to support our guests. Then, as I said, we reach out to the community. You can, If you need furniture, you need your house furnished, we might be able to help you. When our People uh, finish a program and get a, and get a home and move out. We'll furnish the home for mm-hmm. them if they don't have anything. Wonderful. And beyond that, we have partners throughout the community. Uh, like we used to give out clothing on site in South Tucson. We don't do that anymore. We distribute it through different uh, partners like Northminster Presbyterian, who have their own on-site outre- outreaches. So we help support them. Everything uh, we get, we use. We don't sell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much everything just kind of goes right back out. And I saw that was it eighty. Eight cents of every dollar. Yeah. yeah. So the direct service percentage, we call it. So out of everything that's donated, 88 cents goes directly to services. So the other 12 cents is admin costs, fundraising, things like that. So we like to keep it high 80s because it shows that we're a good steward of your money. We're, we're doing what you want us to do with mm-hmm. your money mm-hmm. and your time and your gift and your in-kind donations. Well, Victor, is there anything else you would like to add on before we kind of wrap things up today? Yeah, the Easter Blessings to Go, again, is uh, Good Friday, April 15th from 11 to 2. You can go to grmtucson.com to donate or to volunteer. If you're hungry and you want a meal, you can drive through or walk up and sit down and be served. And, um, yeah, just thank you to Tucson for the incredible support that uh, you keep providing over these years. and helping us serve those in need. Well, Victor, before I let you go, can you just share with me again the best way to get in contact with Gospel Rescue Mission for anyone wanting to learn more, find out about about volunteer opportunities, or make a donation? Absolutely. Go to grmtucson.com. You'll see the link to donate, the link to volunteer, or if there's a programs page if you're looking for help Mm -hmm. that describes what we offer. Well, thank you so much for giving us this update and letting us know about the plans for... Easter Thanks, Thanks for uh, your support and for having me here today. That was Victor Hightower, Marketing Manager for Gospel Rescue Mission. You've been listening to Lifestyle Tucson. I'm Riley, and if you're part of a nonprofit group or organization that would like to be featured in an upcoming episode of the program, you can reach out to me by email, publicaffairs at azlotus.com. That is publicaffairs, all one word, at azlotus.com. For more information about the program or to listen back to something you missed, go to the Sunday Mornings page at mixfm.com, kfma.com, klpx.com, or ESPN Tucson dot com.